you feel embarrassed, you feel frustrated about your Bible knowledge, be patient with yourself. Know that God is patient with you and believe that God will provide that increase in your life and will help you to especially know the things that are important and what you need to know about being a faithful disciple. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning into our 43rd episode of Working with the Word. Today, we discuss our first difficult passage in our difficult passage series, looking at Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through verse 7. Let's begin by getting right into the text to see what Luke records for us. So here is Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through verse 7 from the English Standard Version. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. This passage was originally my suggestion, or one of my suggestions, I'll say, about our difficult passages series and something that I wanted to look at to try to understand a little bit better. My initial question when reading this section is just simply, what's going on here? However, <laughs> that's kind of a broad question, not really helpful as we're trying to think of specifically, trying to figure out what's important here and maybe not just what's interesting. So we want to think about some more specific questions that will help us understand this passage better. Number one, why are these guys quote-unquote rebaptized? And number two, kind of a multi-part question, What's the difference between John's baptism and being baptized into Christ? And then we see the Holy Spirit being involved in these seven verses. We see him being mentioned multiple times just in this short text. What's his purpose here? How is he involved in all of this? So hopefully those are some of the things we'll talk about and try to answer today. Why are they, again, quote-unquote, rebaptized? What's the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism or being baptized into Christ? And then what is the Holy Spirit doing here? So let's think about that first of all. Emerson, why are these guys, quote-unquote, rebaptized? What's happening in the text of Acts? Yeah, I, I think when we, you know, if you're reading Acts all the way through, you find a consistent pattern of people hearing the gospel and repenting and, and being baptized. And all of a sudden, in Acts 19, you see them being rebaptized. And so this is it's a strange account because you don't have anything else like this in the book of Acts where you have people being baptized or immersed again into Jesus's baptism. Yeah. And so it's like, what's what's going on here? Why are they being rebaptized? I, I think it's important that we go back to chapter 18. The end of chapter 18 kind of leads into 19 and gives some explanation of the context. And that's an important point. Just, you know, for any difficult passage that you don't understand, always go back and read what comes before it, what comes after it, because that may help answer some of those questions. Mm -hmm. So in in chapter 18, um, verse 24, by the way, this is, Paul is on his third missionary journey, and this is kind of some background information uh, to lead into chapter 19 when Paul comes to Ephesus. 
Uh, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos comes to Ephesus. Apollos is well-trained. He's been, he's been taught about Jesus, and he teaches accurately the things about Jesus. And so he lays the groundwork for the gospel. But the thing is that he's only familiar with the baptism of John, it says in verse 25. And so he's teaching about Jesus correctly, maybe about Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection as the Christ, but he's, he's missing an important key to the gospel, and that is baptism, Jesus's baptism. He's preaching what I'm going to call, and maybe this isn't the, the right word, but he's preaching an outdated baptism, a, mm-hmm. a baptism that has been superseded by Jesus. So that raises the question of, well, what's John's baptism all about? Yeah. And so I think it might be helpful for us to go even further back to the book of Luke. If we go back all the way to Luke chapter 3, and we're going to try to stay in, in Luke's writings, because this is Luke wrote Luke and the book of Acts, kind of mm-hmm. volume 1 and volume 2. Yeah. In Luke chapter 3, we're introduced to John the Baptist, and it says in verse 3, he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right, so we call him John the Baptist because he baptized people, or maybe a better way to say it is John the Baptizer, the Mm -hmm. one who baptized. That's what he was known for. And so in chapter 3, we have people that are coming to him. He is is telling them, you need to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And so he is preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. But in Luke 3, verses 15 through 17, he, he tells them that, that his baptism is important, but it's only in preparation for Jesus. He talks about, you know, when they send to him asking, are you the Christ? Are you the one that we're expecting or looking forward to? He, he says, it, it's not me. I baptize you with water, but someone is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm-hmm. And so John's baptism was pointing forward to, to someone else, the Messiah's baptism. And there's more we could talk about John's baptism in the book of Luke. But if, if we go forward a little bit to the beginning of the book of Acts, there's kind of a bridge between what John does in Luke and what we see Jesus doing in Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, this is after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is revealing himself to his apostles, and he's giving them further instructions. In Acts 1, verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, which you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this is the bridge between the the two people, between John and Jesus. Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I think what he's talking about 
is how the apostles would be filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 mm-hmm. on the day of Pentecost, and that they would preach about Jesus. And all of the signs that, that took place that day, the fact that these, these 12 Galileans were speaking languages they had never learned before to this huge crowd of Jews gathered on the day of Pentecost, that they could understand what they were saying, that was a sign that, that God's promise was fulfilled. And Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 to show that. And so in Acts 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the salvation of mankind through the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit. And then in verse 21, It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Peter uses this to point to Jesus as the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who is the Lord? Well, it, it's Jesus. It's the one that you crucified, mm-hmm. and God raised him from the dead. And here are some more Old Testament scriptures to tell you that this was supposed to happen. Right. And then at the end, in verse 36, his conclusion, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I went through Acts chapter 2 in a little bit more detail, but uh, I think there's really three key things that we see in verse 38 about baptism. First of all, that it is in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what Peter says. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That is by his authority as the crucified and risen Savior. Secondly, he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. Very similar to what John was teaching. In fact, the very same words that John was teaching. Um, But then the result of that is that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2, going forward, we're going to see that preached and obeyed continually. Right. Um, that's the pattern. In Acts 8, in chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 16, chapter 18, every single time we see someone hearing the gospel and responding to it, they are always immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name. And so when we come to chapter 19, why are they rebaptized? They've already been baptized in John's baptism, but as we've seen, John himself said, pointing, he was pointing people to a greater person, a greater the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so John's baptism is now insufficient. Salvation is through Jesus and his baptism, and that's what the message of the cross is all about. And so they've heard about the cross in Ephesus, but they haven't heard about how to receive the blessings of the cross. They haven't heard about the gift of the Holy Spirit, for instance. And so they need to be baptized into Jesus's baptism. And so why are they rebaptized? Well, they're rebaptized because John's baptism was insufficient to obtain the salvation through Jesus. And so they need to be baptized as Jesus commanded uh, in his name for the forgiveness of their sins. Right. 
So we've already talked to a lot, or I guess I should say Emerson has has been able to help us understand, <laughs> explain he's doing a great job for, for us and especially for me and seeing the purpose there of, of I guess kind of the what is going on that helps us to get a big part of that. And even thinking about the idea of the difference between John's baptism and what it means to be baptized into Jesus. Like we've mentioned, there's some similarities, things like they both call for repentance, they both take place in water, and they both are for the remission of sins, it says. So things seem very identical, but the reason for it and the outcome for it are very different. And We mentioned some of that, but Emerson, could you speak to that just briefly about the why and then the outcome? Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting and important, not just interesting, but, uh, you know, we want to be fascinated with Scripture, but we also want to understand that we need to obey Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so it's important when we lay John's baptism and Jesus's baptism, like, side by side, point by point, they line up almost perfectly, as as you mentioned. They look almost identical, uh, just on on a superficial level. And so we might say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, these disciples in Ephesus, and by the way, in, in Acts 19, verse 1, they're called disciples. I think they're disciples of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. And so that's not the issue. The issue is, have they been immersed properly with the proper understanding about who Jesus is mm-hmm. and what immersion is all about? But, you know, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, they're already immersed, right? <laughs> They've been immersed for the forgiveness of their sins, and they repented. And so there's really two differences that make it a big deal. What Paul tells them to do is, you need to be baptized, in verse 5, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really our first difference, Mm -hmm. that Jesus' baptism is in his name. They were baptized in John's name, but, but John is not the Messiah. John is not the Lord. He hasn't you know, he, he wasn't crucified and risen for you. That's, that was Jesus. Right. And so the why is different. We need to be baptized into Jesus's authority as the crucified, buried, and risen Messiah. And, and by the way, that's exactly what Jesus told his apostles to go out and preach in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Mm-hmm. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was the first time that commandment was given to his apostles to go and preach that message, because it wasn't until after Jesus had died and was risen that that message could be preached in its fullness. Right. And and so we we know from other passages in the New Testament, like Romans chapter six, that when we are are baptized, we're buried with Christ in baptism, and we are raised to walk in in, in newness of life. And so Jesus's baptism. When we're buried with Jesus in baptism, it's our death and burial and resurrection in him. And so all of that is kind of to, to say that one of the big differences is the, the why, the purpose of, of Jesus' baptism and the authority behind it. Mm-hmm. And the, the second difference is, I think, the outcome of, of all of that. When we are baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter promised in Acts 2.38. And I know that there's discussion about like what exactly the gift of the Holy Spirit is. My take on that, for, for what it's worth, is that it is the Holy Spirit himself that is given to us. We know from Romans chapter 8, for instance, 
and Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, that every Christian has the Spirit living in them as a promise or as a down payment or as a seal mm-hmm. or as a confirmation. And that's not a miraculous thing, but rather it, it's a relational thing. And the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And every single Christian that has been baptized in Jesus's name, truly repented, believe all those things, they have that blessing. That's what's missing in John's baptism. Remember, that's what John said. John said, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And again, there's discussion about what that exactly means, but I I think that's fulfilled when we are baptized in Jesus's baptism. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, salvation, forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. And, and, and maybe that helps us understand why these disciples didn't understand about the Holy Spirit. When, when Paul came and said, you know, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Right. We don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit because they hadn't been taught that this is the outcome. This is the gift. This is the blessing um, of, of being baptized in, in, in Jesus. And so Paul instructed them. And Paul laid that foundation, and then they were baptized in Jesus' name. And it's interesting seeing how the Holy Spirit, or this discussion about the Holy Spirit, really brings about the whole situation. I mean, Paul is there, as I'm thinking about this, and this is some of Jeff O'Rear's interpretation of what's happening in Acts 19. Like you mentioned, as he's speaking to these men who are disciples, I almost wonder if, if Paul thinks of them as they're con- they're completely contemporaries and have complete understanding with each other. But then all of a sudden, Paul asks about the Holy Spirit. I don't know exactly why he asked them about that, but that leads into this whole other realization of there's a a lack of complete understanding and and fulfilled teaching here. And so that's why we ask the question of you know what's the Holy Spirit? What's his business in being here? Right? I mean, you have him in these few verses mentioned. Was it three times? Four times? from verse um, 1 through verse 7, and you even have things like speaking in tongues going on, that's a very eye-grabbing moment where you think of, you know, that's one of those exciting things, and is that something that goes on over the place? And I think you're going to help us see, and we want to just think about again, what is the Holy Spirit's part in all of this? I think one of the big challenges we have in understanding the Holy Spirit, I mean, obviously there's so much we don't understand because the, the Holy Spirit didn't choose to reveal that, everything perfectly and completely about him through the scriptures. Mm -hmm. One of the tendencies, I think, that makes it hard to understand the Holy Spirit is anytime we we hear about the Holy Spirit, we tend to think, oh, he's going to help me speak in tongues, or I'm going to prophesy if I've got the Holy Spirit. And that's just not the case. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit did help people in the first century prophesy, speak in tongues. Case in point, Acts 19, right? Yeah. These disciples received that gift. But that's, that's not the norm for every single Christian. In fact, there are only four times in the book of Acts that I've been able to count where someone receives miraculous gifts in the context of their baptism in water, in the context of salvation. And every single time, it seems to me that it serves a very specific purpose in the whole story of Acts. So you've got Acts chapter 2. It's the first time when uh, the apostles... Uh, speak in tongues. They're speaking of the mighty works of God there on the day of Pentecost. And and as we talked about, Peter quotes from Joel to say that this is what Joel 
has been promising. This is what God had promised. The point of that is to show that God is confirming the apostles' message that this is the day when Joel 2 is being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So all these works are, just have a simple purpose of communicating the message to that large audience, but also confirming the message that God is actually with the apostles. Yeah. The second instance is in Acts chapter 8, in verses 14 through 17, when Philip goes to the cities of Samaria and preaches to them. And if you remember from the Gospels, the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other. There is like this racial animosity and tension between them on both sides. Yeah. Well, that doesn't dissipate in the book of Acts. It's still there. And so Philip is not like, I mean, he, he's doing something amazing here. He's doing something bold and courageous. He's breaking the those ethnic barriers by going to the cities of Samaria and preaching the gospel to begin with. So he goes and he preaches the gospel to them. And in verses 14 through 17, we read that they had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But Peter and John, the two of the apostles, come from Jerusalem and lay their hands on them, and they receive uh, miraculous gifts. So the point there is that God is confirming that he receives this once ostracized ethnic group into his kingdom now. Um, Maybe some people didn't want to have the Samaritans as as a part of the kingdom. I don't know. But God would use that to confirm that he had received these people. Mm -hmm. And then in Acts chapter 10, it even goes further when Peter preaches to Cornelius, a Gentile. I mean, you talk about the Samaritans being, you know, ostracized. The Jews and the Gentiles, they didn't even eat together. So that's why God sends Peter a vision, um, telling him, let's not call any person common or unclean. And while Peter is preaching to Cornelius and his his family, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in tongues, just like the apostles did in Acts chapter 2. The point is that, again, God is confirming that he extends salvation now to the Gentiles. And we don't have time to talk in detail about this, but in, in Acts chapters 10 and 11, there are a lot of parallels to Acts chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of like points just, just line up point by point. The point is that Acts 10 is the Pentecost for the Gentiles. This, this message, the gift of the Holy Spirit can go to uh, all people now. And so that's our third example. But then our, our fourth example is in Acts 19 here in Ephesus. And, and after these disciples are baptized into Jesus' baptism, in verse 6, Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. What's the point? God has been confirming all along, when people start speaking in tongues, he's receiving them. And that's the point here. God is now receiving these people who had heard about John's baptism, but now have received Jesus' baptism. And if you think about it, really kind of zooming out to a a really big picture perspective, this kind of wraps up the whole story of Luke and Acts. Obviously, there's more to come in the book of Acts, but Jesus's ministry came right after John's ministry. Everything began with John, and John preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, pointing people to the Messiah. Well, this kind of wraps that up in a nice shiny bow and hands it to us and says, okay, John's mission is complete. And now Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. He is the risen Christ. 
He is sitting at the right hand of God. And if we want to have the gift of the Holy Spirit, salvation and relationship with God, we're baptized into him. And so God confirms that those who heard and were baptized into John's baptism can also be received if they submit to Jesus. So kind of wrapping up that that whole story together. I think one of the things we need to realize is that not every Christian received miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with their water baptism. Yeah, Many Christians did receive those gifts, but it wasn't like you come up out of the water and automatically you're zapped with, with some miraculous gift. It didn't happen that way. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 19 and verse 6, where Paul lays his hands on them, and then they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. I mean, really, the only time you have somebody doing this without that type of hand-laying action would be the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 10, right? And so if you see people who are Christians, people who have been saved and are doing these things, it's it's usually not connected to, like you mentioned, the moment of them coming out of the water. It's connected to sometime after that when they are receiving this power from what the apostles are able to do and laying their hands on someone and then giving them that. And that's probably a whole nother section of difficult passages or you said maybe a rabbit hole we're not looking to get into today. But I think Emerson's right. That's a good point to be making and to, to realize. So this isn't about the miraculous gifts as we see the Holy Spirit here, but like you were mentioning from Acts 2.30, it's about the gift of the Holy Spirit and the salvation forgiveness that we have and the relationship that we have with Him and with God and with Christ. Yeah, and and the point is that every Christian has that. Every right. single Christian does, regardless if you know we're speaking in tongues or not. We have that gift because that's really what it's all about. It's not about miraculous gifts but it's about having that relationship that uh, is now opened with us and with God. So like you mentioned, we don't want to just say, okay, we, we learned some interesting things about Acts 19 today. Hopefully, is there some type of, so this isn't really a challenge, but just kind of a, a takeaway point of what's the big deal for, for me? I've never really been tempted to say, I need to go get baptized in John's baptism. I want to like revoke, <laughs> you know, being baptized in the name of Jesus. That's not a situation I've endured, but what are some things that we can think about for our own lives? Yeah, that's a, a really, really good question. I think looking at this passage, it challenges us to consider what baptism is all about and what it means to be baptized into Jesus's name and for the forgiveness of sins. What, what is that all about? And it does raise the question of, you know, does it matter when I'm baptized? Does it matter why I'm baptized and how I'm baptized? Those are questions that a lot of times come up in topics or discussions about baptism. And I think one of the implications of this, applications here, is that it does matter uh, because Jesus's baptism is the only one that is sufficient to put us into Christ. It's Mm -hmm. only Jesus's baptism, the baptism that he commanded, that we can be buried with him and that we can die with him and rise with him. And so, yeah, it, it does matter. I think that's the so what, is looking at our, our understanding of baptism. And if you have been baptized, asking yourself, what did I do? And did I, did I follow uh, this teaching? And so have you considered this question? Have you accepted Jesus's baptism? Have you submitted to Jesus's baptism? I think those are 
questions we have to answer and study personally as a part of the so what here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get ready to close with our challenge and with our outro, I would just like to take a moment to say a few words about this series again. You know, doing a series of of episodes from time to time that are going to be about difficult Bible passages, maybe questions we have about things that are going on in the spiritual realm, or, you know, here's a, a text that something happens, but it sounds like it's contradicting with another text. Or, for example, like our text today, Acts chapter 19, and just kind of the initial what's going on with this situation here and with Paul baptizing these guys. As we first started working on this episode, I felt embarrassed or frustrated with myself for the fact that you know I feel like I should already know this or I, I feel bad that I have to talk with Emerson about the fact that I don't know this and you know should I just you know fake ignorance and, and, and be like oh yeah that's you know something that's something that's in the Bible but I realized that you know part of the series is trying to understand some of these passages better especially in the important way, trying to find those so what moment. I mean, seeing things that are really, I think, somewhat of maybe more in the interesting of parallels between like Jesus's baptism and John's baptism, some interesting things about how this kind of ties up the bow of John's ministry and what he did, but the important things, understanding why this matters, want to figure out those things. But secondly, to help us remember that we're going to grow in our I don't know areas, overcome those negative feelings of frustration and embarrassment. Uh, this is a, a podcast that we do, hopefully to help our listeners who are listening right now and or whenever you are checking in with these episodes, whether it's on a weekly basis or you're checking in with them 40 years in the future, hello in 2062, and hopefully things are good then. But the point is that we're trying to grow. Emerson and I started this, that way we would not just give answers to all of our expertise as Bible study students. We're looking to grow ourselves, and so we all are going to be at places where we're growing in our knowledge of Scripture, and I'm reminding myself of that, and I say all this here at the end because I want our listeners to remember that as well. You know, Whether you actually submit a, a passage for us to talk about in the future and want to have us talk about a question on an episode or not, at some point on your spiritual journey or in your study of you know, studying the Word and your journey of trying to know God better through His Word, there are going to come some times of things that is just going to scratch your head, or it's going to seem confusing, or it's going to seem like it contradicts. And just know that you can be patient with yourself, but continue to to try to to seek that answer, to know that maybe there'll be some things that are I don't knows. There are some things that, as we talked about, it, I, it led to more questions for me that will either get saved for another episode or they'll kind of be for my own study now after talking with Emerson. But again, the point of this here at the end to say, if you ever feel that way, you feel embarrassed, you feel frustrated about your Bible knowledge, be patient with yourself. Know that God is patient with you, that this is a process of growth. Again, it's a seed, not instant rise. And so continue to let the seeds be planted, continue to go to God and to build relationships with him through his word, through prayer, through the encouragement of other Christians or other people who love his word and love him. And we believe that God will provide that increase in your life and will help you to especially know the things that are important and what you need to know about being a faithful disciple to him. Yeah, and and that's really what it's all about. 
we're, we're never going to get to the point where we've got all the answers or, or get to a point where I, I know enough that I don't have any more questions. <laughs> I mean, that, that's one of the frustrating things about Bible study, but it's also a beautiful thing that the more we study, the more questions we have, but those questions kind of drive us to God. So Jeff, I appreciate you just kind of allowing us to, to take your question first. Um, <laughs> And uh, kind of opening up there about how you felt about about that. Yeah, we're not we're not experts in Bible study, and we're just we're just men who are trying to answer questions as best as we can. So our challenge for you today is is send us your difficult passages. We've already got some uh, in the queue coming up, but you've got some passages you want us to try to tackle or talk about. Send those to us. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll do our best to handle them in a faithful way as we're trying to properly handle the Word of Truth. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. We'll continue to revisit our Difficult Passage series from time to time, but going forward, we're going to focus on episodes that continue to put the inductive study method into practice. So, for the next few months, we'll actually be working our way through the Gospel of John. We'll start with an observation episode of a quick main points and thoughts of the book, and then read John 1-4 through to get us started. Until our next episode, if there are other questions, topics, books of the Bible, difficult passages you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him. Be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. What's with all this Holy Spirit prominicity? That's not a word. I'm going to go back and just completely scrap that question. <laughs>